once we become adults, we actually replace half our friend group every seven years. So we are consistently and repeatedly tasked with both letting go of friendships and making new connections. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, today we are talking about one of our most requested topics, both for us and from all of you, and that's how to make friends as an adult with the friendship guru herself, clinical psychologist and leading friendship expert, Dr. Miriam Kermeyer. It is such a good interview. I freaking love her and it honestly just changed my life in terms of how I approach friendships. I know. It was like the therapy session we didn't know we needed, which checks out because she is a therapist. Side note, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Teach Me How to Adult Media and on TikTok at Teach Me How to Adult. And subscribe to our newsletter, which you can just do through our website, teachmehowtoadult.ca, because we are going to be diving way more into all things friendships across all of our socials. We've got lots of stuff coming up because this is a topic that keeps coming up again and again from our listeners and in our own lives. It's a hot Man, one. friendships in adulthood, they're fucking hard. They're they are really hard. Really We've hard. all been really struggling with them, obviously, for various reasons. I mean, Kaylin moving away, having a baby. That'll do it. And just having a lot of my friends move away, working from home, not meeting new people, everybody being in different life stages. There's just mm-hmm. so, so many factors at play. And we talk a lot about it with Dr. Miriam in this episode. But I think the most important thing for us is taking that first step to realize it's okay if you're feeling lonely yeah and it's okay if you want more from your existing friendships or if you want new friendships because there's voids and gaps that just aren't being met so yeah you've come to the right place if you're feeling that way because same and there is hope and like anything things grow when you water them so your friendships can absolutely grow and flourish if you're in a season of wanting more from them Totally. And a big, big takeaway from this episode and my general learnings of going through friendship changes is that you don't need to have a friend that meets all criteria for you. And again, we're going to get into it in the episode, but it's totally okay to have different friends that serve different needs for your life. And another thing that totally blew my mind was when Mel Robbins was on the Call Her Daddy podcast and she had this beautiful analogy that friendships are like trees. So you've got your leaves And leaves change with the season. They come and go. They serve a purpose in your life, whether it's, you know, high school friends, university friends. And we think that at the moment, these friendships are meant to be forever. But the lesson is really that the experience is what's meant to be forever. Like it's a season of your life and it's totally okay for things to come and go. Then you've got your branches and your branches have been around longer. They're thicker. We think they're going to be there forever. Some storms hit though. And the branches fall off. They move away. There's an argument. You know, they fall out and lose touch because the big life changes. And it hurts, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, the branch wasn't strong enough to make it through and weather that storm. So again, there's still a positive experience. It doesn't mean what you had in the past doesn't matter, but they're no longer there. But then you've got your roots and your roots are always growing. It may not be as full as the leaves or as sturdy as those branches, but these are the people that you could call at any point, 4 a.m., something's wrong. You may not talk every day, but they're always going to be there for you. And those mm. are like what Mel Robbins was saying, the core friends that you you don't need to worry about. And maybe you don't talk to them, like I said, but they're not going anywhere. And those are yeah. just as important. Ride yeah, ride or die. They're just as important in your life as, you know, you're going out friends are the ones that you do see every day. So, oh my God, yeah. There's so much nuance to friendships that I don't think... I fully realized till we were doing the research for this episode. And I just think this is going to help a lot of people who are out there struggling with changing friendships in your life. I think so too, man. And I also think like if you have one of those root friendships, like even just one, you are lucky and you're doing great. And I think we get caught up in this like, you know, whatever, social media, everyone's going out. They have so many friends. People are having bachelorettes with like 15 or 20 of their closest friends. And I'm like, yo, my bachelorette party would be five or six people. Like, I okay, but don't that actually have... sounds amazing. That would be my dream bachelorette party. Yeah. Yes, agreed. But it's easy to fall into that comparison of like, oh my God, these people all have so much fun and they have so many friends. And what's wrong with me? 
today though we wanted to focus on making new friends because that's such a hard thing to do in adulthood when you're not at school together you're not on the same street as all your childhood friends like Kaylin and I met at work we would not yeah. have this friendship or a podcast if we had not met at work and now my coworkers are like two furry cats that don't really <laughs> engage in conversation with me so <laughs> the one thing that I saw recently that really helped me kind of overcome some of my anxieties about like going out there and like meeting someone and being like hey can we be friends because I just felt really embarrassed to do that and really embarrassed to be this late in life trying to like throw myself at new friends I was watching a press junket with Jane Fonda she was doing promo for that movie that just came out a bunch of like a bunch of old women go and have like go to a football game and they all like they're all these friends that go on trips and get together I didn't watch it it looked pretty shitty but I love Jane Fonda (laughs) and so (laughs) And she was talking about the importance of female friends and how valuable they are and how powerful they are to your happiness and to your life and what a big advocate she is. And she was saying that one of her ex-husbands was saying like, why are you trying to make friends after 60? Like, this is like the last chapter of your life. Like, who's who's starting new friendships at this point? She's like, I disagree. Every single decade of your life, you can have new, amazing friendships. And she said the most important thing is that A, you're intentional. And B, that you pursue them. Like you court your friends. And then she started talking about how much she courts a friend. And like, she's talking about Sally Field. She's like, I pursued her relentlessly. And Sally was like, I didn't even like, I didn't even care to have any new friends. I'm an introvert. But Jane Fonda was like, no, no, I went after her. Like I was dating her. And I said, I am looking for a friendship with you. I would like to make a friendship work. Let's do this. And I thought that was the most badass thing I'd ever heard. And it was so cool. No one would ever be put off by that. How incredibly flattering to have someone pursue you, putting in effort and then saying, I really feel connected to you. I would like to have a friendship with you. Let's do this. Why would that be embarrassing? You're actually making their day. You're communicating directly. You're making them feel chosen and wanted and all of those things. And then all of a sudden, all those anxieties I had about like, what if I seem desperate or awkward or like a loser all dissolved? Because I'm like, true. I'm just asking for what I want and the other person is being incredibly flattered by me doing so. So like, what's the the problem here? Jane Fonda vibes. That is the theme. I'm in my Jane era. And if I slide into your DMs and tell you that I'm pursuing you, get ready. Get ready for an epic friend. (laughs) Dude, I love that. And when you think about it in the same way that she's saying you have to like pursue the way that you do when you're dating... That's kind of what you and I did. Like, I think we've told the story in the podcast before, but when you oh and I God, got together yes. for the first time, I was fl- like, I'm pretty sure Gabe thought you were going on a date with someone 100%. else. 100%. I shaved my like, whole body. Like, why? You shaved your whole body. <laughs> like, what, what did you think we were going to do? I don't know. You never know. <laughs> we both changed our outfits multiple times. I was fucking karate chopping pillows. Have I ever karate chopped oh a pillow God. in my life? No. So I cleaned. I did like a whole charcuterie board. I like dimmed the lights and lit all my candles. Like we were pursuing one another as friends and trying to put our best foot forward. And then we were both really clear from the beginning that we were like, I want to be friends with you. I really like you. And and then we moved it also into like, I want to create something with you, which was really 100%. cool. So I actually think we like, we, we did it right looking back. We did do it right. And now we're so comfortable. We can show up as our most disheveled selves and it's totally okay. <laughs> so it's perfect. <laughs> But we are not the experts, so we called in Dr. Miriam Kermeyer. Dr. Miriam is a clinical psychologist, writer, speaker, and leading expert on friendship and social connection, having spent over a decade researching the science of friendship and helping people live more connected lives. She sits on the Mental Health Advisory Committee for Wondermind, a media company co-founded by Selena Gomez, no big deal, and she's a member of the GenWell Project, a human connection movement. On top of all of that, she also has a private practice and is one of the first and only licensed clinical psychologists to specialize in friendship therapy. Which is so cool. Honestly, she's, I want to be friends with her. Like, she is so lovely to talk to. She's so smart and just delightful and funny and amazing. And I'm just, I'm just a huge fan. On top of all of the things she does, she also appears in basically like all of our favorite shows, podcasts, and news outlets like The Atlantic, Forbes, The Guardian, New York Times, Time Magazine, Vogue. She is the featured friendship expert for psychology today. And she's a guest on shows like Call Her Daddy, The Today Show, The Cut and NPR. Holy shit, she is a busy lady. Teach us how to make friends as an adult, Dr. Miriam.
Dr. Miriam, we are so, so excited to chat with you today. We have been struggling in the friendship departments for a while for various reasons (laughs) and just feeling like, oh my God, it's really hard as an adult to maintain and make new friends. And you are truly the guru on this. So thank you for taking the time to help us and our audience. We can't wait to, to dive in. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Honestly, it feels like we are in a loneliness epidemic right now. And as we hit our 30s, we found that our groups of friends were just getting smaller and smaller. Everyone is super busy. They're moving away. We're all suddenly in different life stages. And even though this seems to be like a universal experience that everyone's going through, it can feel like there's something wrong with us. Like I never used to have Friday nights where I'd be sitting at home like I probably will tonight being like, do I have friends? <laughs> Where are my friends? Does anybody like me? So what? why do you think friendships dwindle and that life gets lonelier as we age? And why is it just so damn hard to to maintain friends? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in, in what you just shared. And I appreciate you laying that out there because I think so many people, myself included, can relate to this. And I think this is also part of the difficulty with the experience of loneliness is that we tend to feel very alone in our loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we're going through it, there's a tremendous amount of shame and, and self-judgment that takes place that really just makes a difficult situation even more challenging. Right. Yeah. And there are very good reasons why we are staying home on a Friday night, wondering where our friends are, right? I mean, some of these are very um, external to who we are as individuals and as people, meaning that as we age, uh, society, let's call it, is not structured in a way that really allows us to maintain our friendships with Mm -hmm. ease or with the ease that we might have felt when we were younger, right? Mm -hmm. That when we were elementary school and high school and college even, there was a lot in place keeping us together, right? Right. There were classes, there were extracurricular activities, there were organized events, there were a lot of people chipping in together to make those organized events and social gatherings happen. And the older we get, we don't have those same societal structures really tying us to each other. So this is something that a lot of people experience. Layered on top of that, of course, the older we get, the more we have on our plate to manage and to juggle, right? Other relationships, uh, partners, children, aging parents, right? And all the caregiving responsibilities that can go with that. Mm-hmm. We're really focused, many of us, on building careers, right? And and uh, engaging in meaningful projects and personal growth and all the exciting things that happen in that space. Not to say that any of that isn't very important, but so too are our are our friendships. And I will say that one of the themes that's been very clear to me since I started this work is that for many people, friendships tend to fall at the very end of that list. And so it is very difficult to, again, make the time, prioritize it the same way we do everything else. And so we end up feeling alone, judging ourselves for that and feeling quite disconnected. Yeah. I relate to everything you just said. That (laughs) makes so much sense. I know. And I think too, I've, I've noticed as we age and not, I'm not saying aging is a bad thing, but you, you sort of change too. Like what I used to yes. find fun is very different now. And that's been a struggle that I've had because for example, I don't really drink as much as I used to. And that was kind of like a big part of going out and hanging out with my friends was yeah. the drinking aspect and the socialization. So I find like our, my interests yeah. have changed. And because of that, the people I gravitate to have changed a bit too. Absolutely. No, I think this is an important piece to actually highlight really explicitly, because when we look at that experience of whether it's being alone and feeling lonely, which frankly are two separate experiences, and I think that's important to also highlight, right? So for for some people or sometimes the idea of staying home on a Friday night feels um really daunting and lonely. And other times it is something that we are so looking forward to and exactly what we need, right? And (laughs) we want that quiet time and we don't want to be bothered. We don't want people checking in on us, right? So that really is an important piece to highlight. And I think the other thing that definitely comes into play here is this idea of personal growth and of Mm self-reflection. And the older we get, there's, there's a certain amount of life experience and wisdom that comes with that to know this is a moment where I need to become a little bit more uh, insular and turning inward and really kind of prioritizing myself and my own needs. Or for many people too, I am learning more about myself, what I value, who I am. And with that comes a tremendous amount of friendship change. Who am I surrounding myself with? How am I connecting with people? And so we do see that friendship networks shift alongside personal growth. Mm. Yeah. And that mindset shift too makes such a difference because to me, it's about having the choice. So it's like, if I choose to 
stay at home on a Friday because I really want to work on my writing or I really want to do a workout class and then have like a self-care night. Like I feel empowered. I feel good. I'm proud of myself. It's personal growth. But when you're at home alone and you feel like it wasn't your choice and that you just don't have any options, that's when it feels shitty. So I've been working yeah. this year on just trying to do that like little reframe of, okay, I, I could create options. I could go out. I could do this. I'm at home though, and I should make the most of this and enjoy it and make it time for myself instead of like falling into this whole victim. I have no friends. Like, yes. Very easy to fall into. Exactly. Yeah. I think highlighting that piece of choice is so important, right? Recognizing where we do have some control and what are the choices that we're making. And I think what you're also touching on here is this idea of not making a, a mountain out of a molehill, yeah. right? Meaning there will inevitably moments be moments where we are disappointed with how that, you know, evening uh, went or weekend looked or how much connection we feel like we have in our lives at any one given time. And we can recognize that that might not feel great. That feels a little shitty. We feel a little lonely in those moments, right? Without necessarily going to that place of, I have no friends. Yeah. I, nobody likes me. Yeah. It will forever be like this. And it really is very easy to go to that place because our friendships are so important and so personal. Yeah. 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 I, so I had a baby a year and a half ago and also moved across the country. So I made like two, don't recommend folks. Yeah. Don't recommend really, <laughs> really two big life changes. And I found my first year with Mia, I was really falling in that victim mindset of like, I'm alone. I'm just like yeah. only being a mom. And then what helped me get out of it was exactly what you're saying. Like that mindset shift of, no, no, no. I'm just in this one chapter or I have a choice yes. of just focusing on my family right now, but I'm coming out of that. So mm -hmm. as I mentioned, moved across the country, don't have a ton of friends here. I also work from home and Jill also had a ton of friends that moved away and she's a freelancer who also works remote from home a lot of the time. So neither yeah. of us really get to meet people in our day to day, which is kind of like, hard. I don't meet new people ever. Yeah. <laughs> It's a rarity, it's right? It's like an event. <laughs> and we're ready. We are ready for some friends in our yeah. life. So do you have any tips on like how we can feel a little less lonely and isolated when we're trying to make some new friends given our situation? Definitely. Well, I, you know, I think both of you are really doing the first important step, which is recognizing this need that Yay, one of five. the, uh, right? <laughs> well, no, it's, it, it is worth giving each other a high five because, and giving yourselves a high five too, right? Because it is sometimes daunting and difficult to even take that step of, I want more connection yeah. in my life and I'm ready to meet new people because the minute that we acknowledge that as something that's real, then it kind of begs the question of, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. Mm. And that is a scary place to be that in that uncertainty yep. with that opportunity, that is scary. Mm -hmm. So you're already, you know, <laughs> a, a big step forward in terms mm -hmm. of that process. And there really are things that we can do to invite more connection into our life and to meet new people. I mean, part of, I think what we really need to recognize is that friendships don't just happen. There really is this tendency to uh, romanticize our relationships of all kinds, frankly, right? We dream up meet cutes in terms of romantic relationships mm -hmm. and we do that for our friendships as well, right? Yeah. Especially with social media and we see the lives that everyone else has and we just really want that for ourselves. It's easy to feel like that is somewhere out there and we don't really know where that there is or how to get there. Yeah. So the first step is really to step outside of our cocoons, right? And that is especially difficult as new mothers, as new parents, right? As someone who's really cultivated a routine around their work and working from home. I love routine. It is really hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> creature comforts. I'm a creature of habit. I get it. I really do, right? I'll tell you what I'm doing Friday night because it's exactly what I did last Friday night, right? <laughs> but we really do need to take take that step of trying something new. And this can look different for different people. Sometimes the best strategy is to actually go out there and pursue a new hobby. Enroll in some type of activity that you used to love when you were younger and haven't you know, participated in a while, an art class, a sports team. I used to play tennis when I was younger and for I want to say months, but actually years now, I've been telling myself, I need to get back into that. I really want to. And so that's on my list. So I'm putting it out here so that, you know, I have some accountability there. But we all have that thing, yeah. that thing that we have been wanting to return to or something new that we've been wanting to try. And so using that as a bit of a guidepost to, to step outside of your routine, out of your comfort zone and meet new people who probably 
are like-minded, at least when it comes to the interest in that specific activity, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's one key strategy, which sounds simple, but of course is difficult to do. If that feels too scary, or if you're in a place where you're not exactly sure what that thing is, that activity is, another really great strategy is to actually pick a more social place. And this is actually one of the big things that has impacted, I would say, the certainly the frequency with which we interact with our friends, but also just how connected we feel in terms of our communities. There's been a decline of shared social spaces in terms of how neighborhoods are actually designed. Mm. And that is actually to our great disadvantage. And if you can think about this, you know, where are the places, where are the public places where people are hanging out, frequenting that I would like to be, right? Yeah. That might be uh, a dog park. That might be, right, where, where you take your dog or your pet. That might be uh, just a park, right? A playground as a parent where you're looking to meet other parents. That might be a coffee shop in your neighborhood where you can go and work and meet other people who are also uh, freelancers or entrepreneurs and working in public spaces. But try that out. And the reason why this is so helpful, firstly, try it out, but try it out more than once because we know that it usually takes a few times of being in a situation before we feel like we can be a little bit more open in terms of connecting with people. And ideally, we start to get a sense of who the regulars are, right? And we start to notice familiar faces, again, a, a fellow parent on the playground or somebody else who's working on their computer every Thursday morning, right, at 10 o'clock. And if you've had a few of those moments, then you can start to build on that. You smile, you say good morning, ask how's your day going, right? And you can kind of build from there. So that's really, really powerful. The other thing I will say that I don't think is mentioned enough uh, is that we actually benefit from very casual social encounters much more than we recognize. So the goal is perhaps to meet new friends, right? Yeah. Which is a very uh, appropriate and admirable goal. But the lower level goal is really just, again, to invite more connection into our lives. And if we can have a familiar face, whether it is somebody else working alongside us or the barista at a coffee shop, and if we have those small moments of connection where we're smiling at each other, we're saying good morning, those very brief encounters actually do wonders when it comes to our sense of connectedness and community, much more than we recognize. I couldn't agree more. We just got uh, new tenants. We're renting our, our basement out and it's this amazing family from Australia and they've got two kids, similar age, similar interests. We had no idea really until they, they moved in and those little interactions of seeing them every day and the highs and the hellos and their little, their son is so cute. He's always saying hi to us. And that's all of a sudden over time built a friendship and now we're all like yeah. hanging out on weekends and going to workout classes together. So I, I love your point of like the little micro interactions can also form bigger things. My husband and I, like I said, we're ready to meet friends. We're in our meet new friends era. So we have been trying to put ourselves out there to the point where like we're selling things on Facebook marketplace. And when someone comes to pick it up and we actually think they're like legit, we're like, Hey, we're new here. Do you want to, do you want to hang this out? Is, this is brilliant. Isn't it? Okay. So funny. Caleb's the Facebook marketplace queen too. I, I've met a lot of people. They're going to start writing in your seller rating. Right? Like, very nice person. Eager to meet friends. Yeah. Are they <laughs> swingers? We're trying to I figure know, it out. Oh my God, imagine. That would also be a great way to try swinging. But no, that's not what we were getting at. This was purely friendship. But I like what you're saying about it takes effort because there was one couple. Yeah. We got each other's numbers. Um, we headed off when we sold them our, our Peloton. And then I just didn't reach out. And I don't know why. And now it's been way too long. Like, I feel like I can't. They're going to totally forget who I am. But how do you like get over that nervousness yeah. of, of reaching out? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a fantastic question because again, we can all relate to this. And I think it's actually important to normalize this. No matter how extroverted you are, no matter how many friends you have in your life already, going first, right? Reaching out, taking uh, initiative in that sense is very vulnerable. <laughs> it is <laughs> difficult. It's not, it's not easy to do. So it, it makes sense that this is hard. Truly, my best advice here is to just do it, to just keep doing it, that making friends and everything that goes into that, these are skills. These are social skills, but these are skills like any other. Yeah. And the more we do it, the more we get a sense of, okay, what feels right for me? What mm -hmm. sounds like me? What do I feel comfortable saying? What it just feels a little bit too forced, right? So we get to yeah. learn how can I share who I am in a way that feels really authentic and aligned. And it just really 
over time decreases the anxiety that comes with it. True. Anxiety is rooted in avoidance and avoidance certainly exacerbates anxiety. And so the more we avoid taking initiative and going first and doing these things, the bigger it seems and the bigger it feels. And so I mean, this isn't, this isn't magic, right? And it's also not what people want to hear. People want to hear, well, what do I need to do first before I do it? And yeah, of course, there's a bit of mindset work that we can talk about even now, but really the actual change comes from doing. You just like blew my mind with (laughs) anxiety is just avoidance because I, that makes (laughs) so much sense. And we also like, Kaylin and I are always talking about anxiety and we've always, we always talk about it on this podcast yeah, it's just avoidance. That's so crazy. It's, oh my it's God. Totally avoidance. It's so connected, right? And sometimes it's also we we don't recognize that we are avoiding because it feels like we're problem solving. So actually it feels like we're very close to the problem. Yeah. Right. We are ruminating. We are thinking about, well, what is the perfect thing to say here? Right. What exactly should I be saying or doing? And so we're so close to the anxiety and to what we perceive as the external problem that we don't even recognize that all of that thinking is actually taking us away from doing and actually taking us away from connecting and making it seem far scarier than it is. But the more we do it, the more we figure out what does work. And this is the big end, the more we actually learn to tolerate the discomfort or the feeling of rejection that's there. And then that no longer seems as devastating as it perhaps once did. Right. And I love what you said about going just for casual interaction instead of always like trying to go for the gold and go for, because really I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves, whether it's dating or friendships, really whoever you're Mm -hmm. courting, we put so much pressure that we're going to show up to this bar or this new class or this new hobby, whatever it is. And we're going to make a friend. And if we don't, it's a fail. If you're going in there, just being like, I'm just looking for micro connections. And if something blossoms, that's great. Then you can like alleviate some of that anxiety and some of that pressure that you're putting on yourself because we, we talk so much about the fear of rejection in dating and not really in friendships. And as like, I'm 32 years old and to me it would be way less daunting to like go on a date than it would be to like Mm -hmm. approach a cool girl that I see in my like Legree class and be like, hey, do you want to hang out? Like that's way scarier because the dude's probably DTF and the girl might not want to be like hanging out with me. So it's, it's, there's this pressure that we put on ourselves. It has to be this big thing and it has to like end in a big friendship. And I think that is what holds us back. I was extremely lonely this past year. And so I was like, okay, I can't sit at home complaining about it. And so I just started being like, okay, I'm just going to go to my favorite coffee shop at least twice a week. Or or I have to start acting the way that I do when I travel at home. Because mm-hmm. when I travel, mm-hmm. I am a different person. I go to <laughs> bars by myself and make groups of 20 friends. I go out and work at, you know, share spaces in the city that I'm staying in and make so many friends. Like I'm so social. But then in my own city, that yeah. has this weird edge of shame that like if you go out by yourself in the place that you live, you feel like a quote unquote loser, you know, or you feel like what's mm-hmm. wrong with me that I'm showing up to this bar by myself. And when people ask where I'm from, I'm going to be like, oh, two streets over. Like it feels <laughs> yeah. really awkward. I don't know why that is. Maybe you have have some insights, but. Well, you know what is coming up for me? I, again, I think you were doing everyone such a favor by sharing this because we can all relate. It's so true. We, we do we can act differently, right? And take different steps depending on the context. And so instead of focusing on why can't I do this? Why don't I do this when I'm in my environment, right? When I'm at home, when I'm in my normal routine, I think the, the, the more helpful question is, well, why can I do it when I'm traveling? What is actually different? What is the story that I'm telling myself Mm -hmm. about the permission that I feel I have to do this? What is the story that I'm telling myself about the other people that I'm going to connect with? What is the story that I'm telling myself about how this evening is going to go, right? Is it a mindset piece? Is it about just I'm making it a priority to carve out time to do this as opposed to when we're in our normal routines, it's work, 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 or we know that we are prioritizing again our families or something else. So really leaning into, well, what makes this possible? And using that as motivations. Far too often, we try and motivate ourselves through shame and through self-criticism. And Mm -hmm. I always say, shame and self-criticism are not effective motivators for change. Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is, curiosity is. And so really leaning into that side of things, I I believe is the really important place to start. Oh, I love that. 
That makes so much sense. Yeah, because I've started, I've taken the first step of going to places and I would just not talk to anyone. I'd show up alone. And like mm-hmm. the one time I talked to a girl, I'm like, do you come here often? She's like, yep. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Okay, good <laughs> chat. Like she just turned her body and did not want to chat. Yeah. And I took that oh. as evidence that I'm going to be a weirdo. And I started telling myself, yeah, like these stories of like, nobody wants to talk to the random girl that's sitting here. Yeah. So I kept showing up, but not talking to people. And then I started going to poetry mm-hmm. slams by myself because I'm really into poetry, but everyone was there with groups and with friends. So I, I just sit there by myself and I'm like, in a new environment, which is good and getting comfortable with being there by myself. But now I need to take that next step and maybe something more will happen one day. Absolutely. I love that. We don't have control over how other people respond. All we have control over is our own behavior, right? And so we can really focus instead on that very meaningful step and opportunity to practice. Doesn't mean again, that we're not going to experience those moments of disappointment or discomfort or awkwardness, but really leaning into what am I doing? What do I have control over? And and exactly that. What is that one next step that I can try? And how can I set realistic goals and expectations for myself so that I am setting myself up for success? One other thing that comes to mind based on something that you shared earlier was also what are we communicating, right? And sometimes when we travel, when we are away for work or for pleasure or whatever it is, there is a certain level of openness to new experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Because being on the road or in the air does that to us, right? Everything is new and we are kind of trying to take it in. And that has very real consequences for how we're presenting ourselves to the world, right? Am I sitting down and putting my you know, AirPods in right away? Am I uh, looking down at my phone or am I looking around trying to take things in? And when we are set in our ways and set in our routine, very often we are turning inward. We are focusing on the task at hand as opposed to trying to take in the newness around us. Mm-hmm. And people are far less likely to approach us, right? Or to to tell themselves any kind of messaging about our willingness to interact when we frankly, look like we are uninterested in connecting with other people. And so one other small thing that we can do is to actually work to not only feel more open, but actually look more open Mm. to connecting. Yeah. I wouldn't come up and talk to me the way I'm like sitting and behaving (laughs) at restaurants and coffee shops by myself, truly, because in in an attempt to avoid coming off as like really awkward and lonely, I'm like, have a book, have my laptop, have my headphones in, yes. I'm not looking around. So you it's look like busy. Yeah, you, just, busy. you look focused. Yeah, yeah, you're in the zone. People don't, people don't want to disturb you, exactly. right? And the same way, th- these stories that we tell ourselves feel so personal and yet they're universal. The same way you are walking around wondering, or, and you, as in me too, right? Yeah. The, the same way you were walking around telling yourself these stories of people don't like me or people are not interested in getting to know me or, or are set in their ways in terms of their friend group. Everyone else is doing that too all the time, their particular version or their particular chapter of that story. But this is happening everywhere. And so what we really need to do is take intentional steps to communicate that story that you're telling yourself and that story that I'm telling myself isn't actually true. Yeah. Yeah. And Jill, probably when you're traveling, your like your body language and that like low stakes mentality of like, I can just go here and meet someone because there's like, I'm going to be leaving in two weeks. So it's all, it's yeah, all good. Yeah. It's probably yeah. what's keeping you so open. So I think so. We'll channel that for Toronto solo dates for yourself. It. I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you touched on earlier about proximity being sort of like the thing mm-hmm. that allows us to make friends so easily. And you know, without having the proximity of going to the same school or university together or working together in an office, it can take a lot of time and exposure to start new friendships. So what's like the secret sauce? Like how much time does it take to bond with someone? And like, do you have to have mutual interests in order for it to be a new Mm -hmm. friendship? Like you mentioned trying to find something that you love, a hobby and pursuing that. Like, is that, is that the secret sauce? Yeah, so th- this is a this is a very good question, right? What brings us together initially yeah. and what allows us to actually create that connection over time? So uh, luckily, or depending on how you look at it, luckily, researchers have quantified actually how many hours it takes to build Perfect. friendships. So it looks like it takes about 50 hours, five zero, oh, wow. to go from, let's say, a s- relative stranger to a casual connection or casual friend. Oh, wow. Really? And it takes about 200 hours to go to a best friend. Wow. This is not insignificant, yeah. right? Oh. And in my experience, this is a big reason why 
a lot of friendships don't form because it one again practically is just very difficult to get in that amount of time but two we have unrealistic expectations about the amount of time that it should take and so we put in a little bit of effort right. in the beginning we don't necessarily feel that closeness or we don't feel like the other person is really experiencing that and so we say i guess this isn't going to work yeah. i guess this isn't the friendship i thought it was as opposed to putting in the time, continuing to put in the time, right? Making the most of that time. And we can talk about that in a second, but really getting to a place where you now have enough of a shared experience and memory bank to feel connected in the way that close friends do. Mm -hmm. So it does take a tremendous amount of time and it also matters how we spend that time. And this is where some of those things like shared interests, uh, certainly values, that's a big source of connection, mm -hmm. right? What are you connecting on early on? We know that similarity for many people is the root or at least the starting point of a friendship because it's really an indicator that we could get along and it's something easy to connect over initially, right? If you know we're both interested in this activity, we both watch this show, we both have kids the same age, we're both writers, right? It's a safe topic. Yeah. And we, it's safe because we know the other person's interested and it's safe because we know a lot about that. And so we feel a little bit more confident and comfortable opening up about our experience or sharing information. We want to learn from someone. And so again, that conveys a certain amount of openness. I'm being open in terms of what I'm sharing and I'm open to hearing your perspective too. So that really is why similarity is so important and helpful early on. That's not to say that we need to be identical to our friends, right? right. And we also need to be prepared for navigating challenges that come up when we don't see eye to eye. How do you decide if, you're, let's say it's your fifth encounter with this person, you're trying to form a friendship, yeah. but there's like maybe one little thing that you don't love about them, but it's not big yes. enough for it to be like worth ending the friendship. How do you look past it? I actually suspect that sometimes what's coming into play here is a little bit of perfectionism, mm. right? And the same way we can be perfectionistic with ourselves, we can also expect perfection from other people, which can be very much a barrier to connection. So part of it is just recognizing, as you're saying, that no, no one, no one partner, no one friend is going to check all of our boxes, that that is just not possible. And even the people who do, they won't always be that in every moment, right? We, we can want somebody who's incredibly kind and patient and if they've had as a partner, as a friend, and if they've had a terrible day, there will be moments where that is just less possible. And so we need to have a little bit of leeway for imperfection in our relationships and with ourselves, frankly, right? We would hope that our friends feel that way about us too. Yeah. Right? So that's part of it. At the same time, I, I think it really matters what that thing is, right? Is that about, I am, again, really passionate about tennis, right? And this, this person isn't interested in that. Or I really want to build uh, connections and friendships with other therapists or with other writers or with other speakers, because I really want to be able to build this professional network mm -hmm. of friends and be able to support each other. Right. These are valid needs, right? And so it's not only important to recognize those needs, but also take steps to meet those needs. And so one of the things that I often share and recommend is one friend doesn't have to meet all of our friendship mm -hmm. needs, right? right? And just because they don't doesn't mean we need to throw out that connection. It just might be an indicator that we want to connect with more people, that there's another particular need that's not being met here and that that's okay, that it just means we can appreciate this person for who they are and what they bring to our life and continue to take steps to connect with new people who will meet that need and certainly not meet all of our other needs. So it really is about being thoughtful and identifying what do I need? What do I want? And what do I have right now in my social network and social circle and what's missing? Yeah, I think that's, I would love to talk more about that because I think that's really important. And when I was younger, I very much romanticized that a friend had to be everything, like all of yes. the things for you. And I, I felt that way about my, my best friends growing up, that they were, they, all I need is this best friend. I was like very singular on my best friends. And then now as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm finding these gaps of what's missing. And so, I mean, I guess there's kind of two steps to it. There's figuring out how to identify what you need and what's missing and then there's also communicating and finding that in other people. And I don't know if you have any advice for that. Like I'm sure, you know, Kaylin has, has talked about how like it's great to have friends who aren't moms, but it would also be mm -hmm. nice to have friends that are moms that you can relate to. And I'm finding that as all my friends 
are now very settled down and in relationships and planning weddings and having kids, I always had so many friends to go out with. And now none of my friends ever want to go out. And so I'm finding like, well, yeah. I'm at a point in my life where I kind of like need to go out and meet people just like out of pure necessity mm-hmm. to, to meet people. Mm-hmm. But I have no one to go out with. So I'm like, never thought I'd need a going out friend because I used to only have going out yeah. friends, but I need that. And then I'm also finding yeah. uh, because I work in the creative industry, I don't really have any other creative friends in Toronto now that I don't work in an office and now that I'm a freelancer. And so it can be very isolating because I feel I don't have friends that I can get together with and share those wins or those passions or those interests. They're just like, what, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't do poetry. Like, what are you saying? (laughs) And so there's these gaps and I know, like I've identified that they're there, but now I need to figure out how to fill those and how to communicate to, to incoming potential friends that like, this is kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of echoing what I said earlier, the, the biggest step and certainly the first step is to identify what are those gaps, yeah, right? Yeah. What what are the types of experiences that I would like to share with someone else in my life? What are the types of experiences that I think would be made more enjoyable by sharing this with someone else? What needs of mine are not being met? And that's true all the way from, again, uh, the need to be able to connect over this life experience or to go out together to the need to feel emotionally supported and uh, seen for a particular struggle or challenge that we're going through, right? All of these needs are equally valid. And so really being honest with ourselves about what we need and what we feel is missing. From there, I think it's there's a few, a few key steps to take. One is really questioning, do I have anyone in my life who can help me meet this need? And sometimes the difficulty is actually that we have struggled to communicate that need to mm. our friends, right? We've just, again, told ourselves stories, made assumptions that, oh, this person wouldn't be interested. They're just not interested in poetry. I mean, maybe, maybe they're not, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly possible, <laughs> but maybe they are, right? And yeah. that goes for all of the other things that we are looking for. Is it possible that I haven't been clear about what my need really is? Mm. Yeah. That's a starting point. And, and maybe also that's part of a step in terms of maybe someone would be able to say, yes, I'll go to a poetry reading night with you, right? Or uh, yes, I will go out on Friday night, right? Uh, But it doesn't necessarily feel exactly like we want it to. And so we are still continuing in our search for someone else or a group of people who can really participate in that friendship experience with us. But can we invite a little bit of that into our lives early on? So that's the first piece. The next piece is really thinking strategically about, well, where am I going to find these people, right? And how am I going to communicate to them that this is what I'm looking for? And so a few ideas are coming to mind. One, which people have different feelings about, and we can certainly talk about, but there are a lot of online apps and communities and friendship apps specifically that are incredibly helpful for people who are looking to make new friends. This is very helpful when we've moved and we don't know anyone when we feel like we're starting from scratch. But one of the steps that we don't take often enough is then being clear in our bio, right? Or on these apps, really what we're looking for saying, I love poetry and I'm looking for someone who can come with me to these poetry readings or who can get together during the day because I'm a freelancer and we can work on our writing together. Just really being clear and transparent and owning what it is we're looking for. And there's tremendous power in that because other people can then decide for themselves. Yes, I'm interested in that Uh, No, I'm not. There's a little bit of that filtering that happens. But again, you've now given someone a very clear opening to approaching you and saying, hey, I'm also looking for new friends. I happen to love this thing, right? That's such an easy way to message someone as opposed to generic profiles where now we have to say hi and we feel the pressure to come up with something clever in the absence of any information about this person, right? So really owning what we're looking for, what we're interested in. And of course, like I had said or hinted at at least, putting ourselves in places where we are likely to meet these people. So going, continuing to go to those poetry readings, poetry, right? Like slam poetry readings, uh, even on our own, because we're hoping that we will meet someone new there, right? As opposed to waiting for someone to be able to go then do that. And that takes courage, but I think that that's really an important step. And there are all kinds of online, again, communities or groups, uh, entrepreneurial groups too, right? That we can become a part of in order to connect with people and really be strategic in terms of where am I placing myself and how am I positioning myself to invite people to connect with me? That's such a good point. I love that. I like the strategic part of it. I've never thought about it that way because truthfully, and I know this is impossible because no one could ever replace Jill in my life. But when I moved here, I was like, okay, I'm going to find my Vancouver Jill, who is also a mom and is also a working mom. And 
pursues creative passions, but also works nine to five. Like literally this person doesn't exist. And if they do call me, um, (laughs) but it was unrealistic. And now I'm noticing like I'm, I'm meeting some mom friends through like my daycare or even there's Facebook groups for where I live of moms and they do meetups. I haven't gone because I, I'm scared, but after this episode, I will go. Um, maybe, maybe, but I love that idea of leaning on those communities and, and to your point, being strategic about it, not everyone's going to check off every box, but if you're going into it for a purpose and it's going to tick off that purpose, then it, it takes that pressure off of having to have someone fulfill all your friendship needs. Yeah. Cause Jill, you're my girl. Exactly. I know. I know. Honestly, everything <laughs> fell apart for me when Kaylin moved away. I'm just so sorry. <laughs> it's so hard. Because we used to, like, we yeah. literally used to see each other every day and we met at work and yeah, then we, worked we started together. this podcast together. And so the, Is, the. Did you start the podcast together before you moved yeah. away? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was at okay. when we were working together. We quit that job within a week of each other. Like, we, were, we, we lived 10 minutes together. away. <laughs> we were just like two, the two best friends that anyone could have. So yeah. it was hard. When we are dating, we do that internal work of who am I looking for? What kind of relationship yeah. am I looking for? We do that work in terms of signing up for apps and spending countless hours yeah. scrolling, right? We're doing we our, have our research. checklist of what we're looking there, for. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we tell our friends, and this is another really important strategy. We tell our friends, hey, I'm ready to date. I'm looking for someone. If you know anyone, pass it on. We can do that for friendships as well. That's we can true. absolutely expand our networks in that way. But we don't think about our friendships mm-hmm. in that same way because we haven't been trained to, because that's not how we had to do it when we were younger. And frankly, because that's just how we think about friendships as a society, which is changing for the better. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to talk about, I feel like the, the two main barriers that I'm seeing, at least for me, come up in in terms of making new friends. So there's like the proximity and the the building a routine about getting out and meeting people. But then there's also busyness getting in the way. And yeah. I've just noticed this big, big shift as we've hit 30. Everyone I know wants connection. And pretty much everyone I know at various points throughout this past year has told me that they, they're feeling a little disconnected and wish they were more social. But then everyone is so busy <laughs> with work, their partners, kids, like it's it's so much and so it's like we all want these friendships and connections but then a lot of us can't maintain them can't put in the time and as you said before like yeah. the friendships are often the the last on the list of priorities because you can't really say no to your boss every day or you'll get fired but you can certainly kind of like say no to your friend and like kick them down the yeah the curb for a while so how do we reconcile that need for connection and all of those hours that we have to put into making new friends when everyone is so busy that it's like my I literally, my my best friend group that's that's here in Toronto, we're like trying to find a dinner date from months from now because no yeah. one's <laughs> schedules are coordinating and everyone is so busy. I'm like, what yeah. is happening? Yeah. So, I mean, again, this is a very real challenge that we need to figure out how we are navigating yeah. in order to stay connected. And I I will probably sound a little bit like a broken record, but I actually think there's a big mindset shift here as well that we all need to make because the truth is our friendships are a very important and unique source of social connection Mm -hmm. and our social connections and our relationships are a fundamental aspect of our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. They really are. Our social health is as important as our mental health, as our physical health. And very few people would say, I am too busy to, um, drink water, you know, uh, <laughs> right. Drink water to eat for the next few days to, I don't see myself moving for the next month because I'm just so busy, right? All the other domains of health and, and the health promoting habits and activities that we prioritize for very good reasons. We don't think about our, our, our relationships in the same way. And that's to our great detriment. What's that, that stat our, that loneliness is like, uh, like 20 cigarettes yes. a day or something? Or just, I just, yes. I was so just this, reading that article. Yeah. This has been exactly. So this has been quantified. The research that you're talking about is the result of a meta-analysis, which is essentially when they study studies. So they've compiled a great number of studies on the consequences of loneliness and, and kind of exactly what you're, uh, 
highlighting, the impact that chronic loneliness has on our physical health is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's so sad. Oh my God. Right. So it, it is profound. And we see this across the board in terms of the impact that it has on our physical health. It increases the risk that we will have chronic health conditions. It actually decreases our lifespan. We're more likely to catch a common cold. Our immune system is compromised wow. on the mental health side of things, which is obviously of great interest to me as a therapist. We see that we're more likely to experience anxiety and depression substance use disorders. It really kind of spans a significant, significant range here. There's all kinds of implications for feeling disconnected when it comes to our work. And that's true whether we are an employee, a leader, a solo entrepreneur, that we are just less creative, less engaged, less productive when we feel lonely. And the flip side of this is that feeling connected actually enhances all of those outcomes that it doesn't just reduce the risk it actually increases our well-being and increases our output i've studied friendship for over a decade and yet when things are busy when things are stressful i consistently fall into that pattern of i'll get to that when i'll call a friend when yeah. whether that's to um you know prioritize other things that need to get done and, and be productive, or even sometimes I treat it as like a treat, right? Oh, I'll, I'll finally do that thing that feels good when I get everything else done. And we really need to be thinking about how am I carving out time for this fundamental aspect of health and well-being? Yeah. That's not easy to do, but that recognition needs to happen before we're willing to take action because otherwise it just feels too um, disposable. So Jill, just send the group chat that article and research I know. be like, guys, we're slowly dying. The longer we're, you're we're both we're actually rapidly we're dying. dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I also think um, when we're younger, it's easier to be very intentional about this is friendship time. Friday is just going to be a friendship yes. day. Yeah. And as we get older, like it's okay to mix things. So my friends, when we don't see mm -hmm. each other a lot, the only time we'll, we'll see each other is to go to workouts together because we know yes. we need to do the workout and we know like for yeah. our mental and physical health, we're committed to doing these workouts. And so then if we couple together, okay, and then we'll grab a coffee, we'll see our friends. We've now like, exactly. it's like habit stacking, including your friends. That's exactly it. I was going to say, I call this stacking. And this is a, this is a strategy that I often recommend when I'm talking about this. Like how can we incorporate our need for connection and our need for friendship yeah. into things that are already happening yes. in our lives. And mm -hmm. certainly movement and exercise is one way to do that. Things like grocery shopping, yeah, right? The errands that we inevitably need to do and, and make an effort to prioritize, yeah. right? How can I make the most of my daily commute to work if I have one? Can that be the time that I you know, plan to call uh, a friend once a week, or maybe I call, oh, yeah. I make it a, a goal to call a new friend once a week or catch up with an old friend, right? Anytime How I'm in a car, I'm calling friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And it, and it might not feel as good as we want it to in terms of, it might not be that in-person connection that we're really looking for. And it might not, we might not have as long to catch up as we once did, but again, this is where the perfectionism can get in the way, yeah. right? Well, it's not the perfect thing that I want. And so it's not worth doing. No, the truth is, those things add up. Yes. And the more we can prioritize the little moments, the easier it then feels to prioritize those bigger moments of connection. That's so I love true. that. I've been trying, because I have a three hour time difference from most of my friends since moving across the country. And usually when they want to call me, it's like, it's during bedtime routine, which is like the hardest part of being a parent. That's, yeah. It's like, don't call me during that two hour period. So I've been trying to do it right when I finish work and I'm taking my dog for a walk. And to your point, maybe yeah. it's only half an hour that I have, but it's better than not talking to my friend for three months. So I'm trying to yeah. be easy on myself. And I'll be honest, I'll be like, hey, I've got 30 minutes. Let's catch up now. Yeah. And they're yeah. not going to be like, oh no, that's not enough time. And if it isn't enough time, yeah. part two next week. We'll part two tomorrow. Out. But they'd yeah, appreciate exactly. it rather than like never. Yeah. We, we let perfection be the the enemy of, of just good or we let great be the enemy of exactly. good. Exactly. Yeah. We wanted to ask you how our upbringings and attachment styles yeah. also come into play with friendships as adults. So I know for me, when I was younger, I gravitated towards having big groups of friends in high school and university. And because of that, I, I had developed some anxious attachment styles because with a big group of girls, there's bound to be drama. And I would find myself like really pining for everyone's love and attention. Now that's changed. And as I'm older, I really gravitate towards single one-on-one -on -one connections, kind of what we've been talking about that fill certain needs. For me, it wasn't so much about friendships, but like the way that I grew up in my family has very much formed how I am with my friend groups and my friendships. And so I'm quick to 
have a lot of anxiety of like, is someone mad at me? Is like mm-hmm. is someone, mm-hmm. have I disappointed someone? Like my anxiety is very much like, am I being good enough at all times? And yeah. is anyone mad at yeah. me and all of those things? So, um, and, and Kaylin, I know that like you've shared with me that from some of your friendship drama, like it's made you like more anxious and more worried about like, is everyone okay? Are we all good? Or just an over awareness yeah. sometimes. And like, yeah. I think we both can like make up some stories in our heads because we're just like hyper aware and worried. Yeah. yeah. There are certainly more, but two key ways that our upbringing and early experiences impact our friendships. The first is exactly what you're talking about, that our early connections and our, our salient friendship experiences, right? What, are, what Who were our first friends? What were our friendships like in elementary school? Were we bullied, right? Was that something that we did we feel like socially excluded? Mm-hmm. What were things like in high school and how did we deal with conflict or drama that can sometimes come up in our relationships, right? All of that can impact how we feel about ourselves as a friend, what we look for in other people. Sometimes we can go on to replicate patterns. Sometimes we make it a, a you know very conscious effort to not do that, but there are connections there and we can talk about that. The other thing though that I think is really important to point out is that our parents' friendships also impact our relationships. Mm -hmm. And this, again, is a key way that our romantic relationships and friendships differ, or at least how the discourse about those two relationships differ. Meaning we often talk very openly about how as parents, for example, we want to be able to model healthy relationships for our children, right? That it's important to demonstrate healthy communication, physical intimacy, how you are resolving conflicts, right? That all of that has an impact on our children's well-being, on their development, on their future relationships. We don't have those same discussions about how we are modeling friendship, how we are doing friendship. And the truth is when children grow up in homes where their parents are not prioritizing their friendships because they are so busy or because they're really leaning into other relationships, or of course, because there are stressors that come up that make that very uh, impossible at times, right? Children learn different messages. Friendships aren't important. Friendships should be at the bottom of our lists, Mm. right? I am not worthy of friendship. So we need to be thinking about that piece of it too. How is friendship modeled for me, right? Who are my role models? And if we feel like the people in our lives weren't the role models that we want or that we need, how can we look for other friendship role models around us? How can we be our own friendship role model, right? We can sometimes use that as a motivator. What would I like to have seen and how can I do that for myself and practice that and model that for myself? So those are two of the powerful ways that our early experiences do impact our later connections. I I also think it's important to point out though that we are never stuck, right? The past certainly informs the present and how we think about the future, but we are never too old or too set in our ways to change. And if I believe that, I would not be a therapist, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that growth and change is possible. It's sometimes more difficult, but we can absolutely shift not only our mindsets, but also our whole approach to relationships and friendships. Hmm. You're empowered, but also so heavily influenced by how you grew up because you can either be like, I want to be exactly like Mm-hmm. my upbringing and I want to just replicate everything or you can be like wow I'm going to do the exact opposite because that did mm-hmm. not work for me mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. branch out either way but you're it's still you're still so informed by it that's so interesting asking for a friend <laughs> what advice do you have for letting go of friendships that you feel like you might have outgrown or no no longer have yeah. similar interests with like we talked about you know maturing and focusing on personal growth and sometimes that looks like different things for different people or you're just in different mm-hmm. life stages is there a world where you can still be friendly with each other, but not be best friends and not have to like have this dramatic ending? Like how do you navigate sort of slowly outgrowing each other? Yeah. I actually think the answer to this question lies in something that we were talking about earlier, which is this whole idea of choice and that we should feel like we are choosing who we are connecting with and who we are staying friends with and that the healthiest friendships are those where we feel that on a consistent basis. It doesn't feel like a chore. It doesn't feel like something that's rooted in duty or obligation that this is something that we are, this is someone I should say that we are still really motivated to connect with. That doesn't mean that it should always feel easeful, right? Or that we should never experience conflict. That's something different. But but we, and very importantly, the other person, that this needs to be a mutual decision and a mutual ongoing choice, that both people are really motivated to make this connection work. And so the minute it stops feeling like that, I think that that's something important to turn toward and take a closer look at. Why am I feeling like this is 
uh, a relationship, a friendship that's really rooted in that sense of duty or obligation? Is there something that needs to shift in the dynamic here? Is there some kind of imbalance that I need to uh, correct in order to feel that? So that's one piece. Uh, I, I do think it's important that we recognize and normalize that not all friendships will last. Mm-hmm. Not This isn't, frankly, possible even. Mm-hmm. Uh, this certainly isn't normal. There's some really interesting research showing that once we become adults, we actually replace half our friend wow. group every seven I'm years. Feeling that. <laughs> and so we, yeah. right? So we are c- consistently and repeatedly tasked with both letting go of friendships and making new connections. Right. So this is something that everyone is experiencing in different ways all the time. And that doesn't make it any easier, although perhaps it does because you know that other people are also looking for it new friends. And our other people are also struggling with how challenging and, and uncomfortable it can be to let go of friend and frankly painful. I mean, one of the, the themes that often comes up uh, in the work that I do, and I have some resources on this on my website, if anyone's interested, is, you know, friendship breakups can sometimes be oh, more yeah. painful than romantic ones yeah. because they're unexpected, because we don't normalize it, because we don't rally behind people when they're going through this kind of a breakup. Yeah. And so there's, there's not a lot of support frankly, openness for how painful this can be. And that too can feel very lonely and isolating the same way, like we started our conversation, the same way wanting to make friends can feel lonely. Losing touch with a friend can feel uh, very lonely as well. There is a world in which you stay connected. I think here too, the important piece is is that both people are clear on that. And this works well when both people are motivated to stay connected. Maybe you're doing what's called downgrading your friendship. Uh, I wouldn't recommend using. You that have been language. downgraded. <laughs> You're being downgraded, <laughs> right? I, I think I think we need to downgrade this relationship. But that's that's actually the term that we use in research. And what that means is it's really again a cognitive shift. Cognitive meaning the way we're thinking about this person or this relationship, and it's a practical shift. Meaning we're probably not connecting as often. We're probably not as open with this person or as vulnerable. Yeah. But we're also not saying the door is closed to yeah. any type of connection. Right? We're setting boundaries around us, even these contexts, only with other people. Who knows? So that that does work. And that works when both people are on board. It works far less well when one person is motivated to maintain the connection and the other has checked out. And so this is why uh, oftentimes we will handle friendship breakups or the ending of a friendship uh, by gradually withdrawing and hoping the other person you know, gets a clue and recognizes what's going on and just accepts it. But I often caution against assuming that there won't have to be a discussion at some point because when one person is motivated to maintain the connection, very often what happens is then they're left with questions, left with uncertainty, and they'll come looking for answers, right? Yeah. What's going on? Are you mad at me? Are you, is there something happening here? Do you still want to be my friend, right? Those those are important and understandable questions yeah. that come up for people yeah. when it feels like someone that's close to you is pulling away. I love the downgrading piece because I've been thinking, I, I went through a pretty devastating and blindsiding friendship breakup of a, of a with a best friend last year. And to your point, it felt as bad as a breakup, if not worse. And I feel like I'm still like really fucked up from it and just like super devastated. And I've probably spent the last year trying to figure out like, what would I have preferred? Like what would have been less horrible, you know, yeah. so that if I'm ever in that position mm. again, I'll know what to do because it was, it was just, it was so yes. upsetting. And I was like, I wish we could have just kind of mutually fizzled and just been like, hey, we can just deprioritize mm-hmm. a bit, but it's okay. Still love each other. Still happy to see each other. But like, we don't need to be the be all and end all for each other at this point if it's not working. Like, I wish we could have just done that instead yeah. of this like horrible random breakup that happened. And now that's put words to it that it's okay to, you know, quote unquote downgrade or whatever. It's okay to like deprioritize or just rethink the connection you have with people it doesn't need to be all or nothing it doesn't need to be you're either my ride or die or you're done exactly (laughs) like maybe we can just have yeah uh, absolutely yeah just shift our friendships in a in a compassionate way but I I appreciate you sharing that because that's kind of put words to what I've been thinking would have been ideal as opposed to where we ended up we have one last question that we like to ask all of our guests of course and that's what's one thing you wish you had learned in school Oh, oh my gosh. Um, 
I, I mean, I have lots to say here. I, I'm, on the one hand, I feel like I, I wa- was in school for the vast majority of my life, including True. my adult life, having, <laughs> right? Having, having done my, my PhD in clinical psychology and everything that goes into that. Yeah. And yet there's also so much more that I wish I, I would have learned, especially from an early age yeah. in elementary school and in high school, as, as much as I actually loved going to school and my schooling experience, it would have been really helpful to have more mindfulness-based practices and, yeah, and that yeah. self-compassion piece that we spoke about. And I, I do see that yeah. is shifting in schools. I will say my son just finished his uh, year of junior kindergarten. Oh, He's graduating oh, next week. So <laughs> it is. And I see that though, right? Like that type of programming is really now being implemented in schools in I think a way that is really powerful. And I think that it's something I personally would really have loved uh, to learn earlier on in life, how to validate your own experiences, how to be a friend to yourself, right? How to notice and observe thought patterns or behavioral patterns without judging. That would have been really uh, important. And so I'm glad to see that things are changing. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I wish we could talk to you all day, although we've taken up basically an entire day of your time, but this was so No, this was great. Thank you so much for your questions. Oh, I loved it. Please let our listeners know where they can follow you and and access all your resources. Absolutely. So you uh, are welcome to visit my website, which is miriamkermeyer.com. And I have lots of free resources there in terms of articles that I've written and interviews that I've done, podcast conversations like this, all about navigating friendships and workplace connections and really uh, bolstering personal resilience and relationship resilience. So that would be one resource. Uh, Certainly join my online community on Instagram and across social channels at Miriam Kermeyer. I also have a newsletter community that you can sign up for on my website. And you're also welcome actually to join the wait list for my upcoming course. I am finishing up my first digital course on building meaningful friendships in adulthood and how we can do that and really strengthen the confidence and competence that we all need to build closer connections. So congratulations. Please let us know what the launch is and and we'll link everything. Thank you. Yeah, I will happily. I'm I'm so excited. This has been, thank you. That's so sweet. No, this has been the the culmination of obviously a tremendous amount of research (laughs) and and just really wanting to make it uh, available and accessible. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for what you do. Doing the Lord's work. The world needs this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We hope this episode inspires you to put yourself out there and find your people and relentlessly pursue friendships because you deserve them. We'll leave you with a quote from Chelsea Handler, who, although I don't know if I'd want to be friends with her, is fucking (laughs) hilarious. Just hilarious. (laughs) The love that comes from friendship is the underlying facet of a happy life. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.